Carpenter, but I guarantee you he is a seasoned ring veteran. I've been hit with bar stools, bar rags, bar mace. I'm talking to you. They're scared that Hulkamania is still running wild. Oh, yeah. I got a big fat wife and nine kids at home, and I got to feed them. And take a look at Jesse the body in real life. Open your hand once if you would. You want to see it? <laughs> this is absolutely unbelievable. Totally, completely out of control. He's coming in over the top. Hey, look out! There it is. There is the open. And that is the best part of this podcast, folks. Let's just be frank. My name is Chris Tubbs. This is AWA Unleashed. We are the preeminent number one podcast dedicated to telling the stories and reliving the memories of the American Wrestling Association. Everybody loves the open, and that's the best part. But let's bring in this just because we've got to fill an hour. I guess we could run the open for for 60 minutes if we wanted to, guys, but everybody loves the Open. Rest of it, eh, subjective. The Open is is very, very good. And it's, over. it's over. Yes, it's over. Yes, it's over. It's over. The the Open gets a pop. And uh, <laughs> yeah. turn it from the Road Warrior pop into into the uh, the the AWA Unleashed podcast Open pop. There we go. And I got a trivia question for Joe Chupik, who put that together. Joe, do you know who it is that Vern is applying the sleeper hole to in that montage? Oh, God, I would have to look and see it again. But I I know that I know it because that's from one of the, in fact, it would have been from the Vern Gagne uh, pay-per-view that I had um, produced. But it's Blackjack Daniels. Ah. Daniels, the uh, real-life brother-in-law of Stan Crusher Kowalski. Oh, yeah, so, I love so the trivia. Yeah, a little useless trivia to go along with the useless uh, two minutes that I've just killed. And uh, we're, we're good to go. Well, and it's going to go along with the useless 57 minutes that we're going to uh, we're gonna kill here in the next hour. This is one of our best shows because people love the no DQ&A. And this is about you guys. This is about questions that you guys have wanted answered and we've always got you know so many that roll over so today we're going to take a lot of your questions and what we don't do this week we're going to do next week so we're going to do a couple of these back to back and and kind of you know try and clear out some of these questions but you've got it you'll keep sending it to awa unleashed podcast gmail.com uh before we do guys you see the uh up in the corner you see soda stick they're the official merchandise sponsor of AWA Unleashed and the podcast. If you want to rep the AWA Unleashed Army, now that it's getting cool, uh, we've got the hoodie. My daughter actually wore hers to school today. She loves it. Uh, you can get the uh, the gimmick in the corner. Yeah, right there. Uh, you can get it right there and uh, get your name in it. Just go to uh, AWA uh, Unleashed on SodaStickCO.com. Type in the promo code Unleashed. You get it personalized. Size up, they run a little bit small, but they're super, super comfortable, lightweight, just uh, really, really awesome. Uh, second as well, if you if you like to eat, <laughs> and we like to eat, try Seventh Avenue Pizza, you guys. It's fantastic frozen pizza. It doesn't even it doesn't even taste like frozen pizza. Uh, but just make sure you don't drip the Seventh Avenue Pizza on your uh, on your hoodie. But the hoodie's black, so I guess it's okay. So you don't want to do them both at the same time that way, but you can eat it, but eat the pizza wearing your hoodie, watch the podcast. And uh, that's, that's it. That's it. When it comes to that. Two hours elapsed time, two hours. <laughs> oh, by the way, you guys, this is like a Larry Zabisco match. You like this? <laughs> I'm trying to get all my shit in you guys. <laughs> Isn't that what they say? Get your shit in. Yeah, you got five minutes. Got you. You know, it's gone yeah. from like a fifty-minute TV match. Yeah, down to like two and a half. Get your <laughs> uh, one more thing, guys, and this is an important thing. Uh, if you have not, just hit the subscribe button, please. Just subscribe. If you're watching it, it's a little gimmick down there. Just hit subscribe, and that way you'll know when uh, podcasts become available. Because there are times when podcasts might drop a little bit early, might drop a little bit later. And if you're like, oh, man, when, when's the podcast going to be out? You're going to know instantly when it becomes live. So just hit it. Hit the like button. Comment. Subscribe. Uh, that helps the YouTube algorithm. So there we go. There we All go. right. 
am I, uh, have I, no, I've, God, how can I filibuster another 54 and a half minutes? You'll find a way. Yeah, you're right. Well, I won't do any more, guys, because I'd like you guys to talk. So, okay. we got some questions. We got uh, okay. some good questions this week. We, we do. And, uh, okay, let's get serious here. Uh, the first one is, uh, is for you, Mick. Let's get right into it. Uh, as a youngster, uh, this is coming from uh, David Salshow, and I think he submitted this before, and if I didn't get to it, I apologize. Uh, as a youngster, I thought those front row fans in sheet garb chanting Ayatollah, Ayatollah, sheik, sheik, sheik were completely nuts. Did you know any of those guys? And what did Adnan and Jerry Blackwell think? And uh, what did Vern think about that as well? I did not know any of those guys. Uh, and incidentally, I, I would say that uh, there is an argument to be made that they were the normal fans in that uh, in that ringside section. Uh, yeah, they, they always wore the garb, uh, cheering on uh, the Sheiks, whether it's Blackwell, Patera, or, uh, or Sheik Adnan himself. Um, as far as what Jerry and Sheik and Vern thought about it, I would have to think that Jerry and Sheik were probably amused by it. Uh, unless it was on television, I don't know that Vern really, really cared. Uh, of course, you know, if, if you got them spotlit, you know, and there they are, and, you know, you got your your heel section uh, cheering for the Sheiks, Vern probably wouldn't like that. But the bottom line is, it was a hell of a uh, time in the AWA history uh, for money. And I think that uh, that's the bottom line at the end of the day. You know, let them dress up however they want. Uh, you know, I, I saw fans, you know, Jesse Ventura used to dress up as superstar Billy Graham and, you know, back in the day, and I saw fans dressed up as, as pigs. I actually did. And I, I, I mean that sincerely. They would have pig heads on. Um, so it was a uh, it was certainly a potpourri of humanity. But I, I would think that Adnan and Jerry probably got a kick out of it. Patera, maybe not so much. And, but, you know, Ken doesn't get a kick out of a lot of things. And Vern was probably in the back counting the money. That's what I would guess. No, but I didn't know any of them. I know that Vern didn't mind it because any time you could get an interaction with the crowd, even though they were heels, they were still over. Oh, okay. you know, so so to, to have yeah. that, you know, to have that fandom even on the heel side, it's actually a good thing in Vern's eyes. And I have a tendency to agree with that. Well, I got to tell you, 10 years earlier or 15 years earlier, it wasn't such a good thing when we were cheering Bockwinkle and Stevens at the TV studio. You know, Vern wanted to behead us. So you know uh, the difference, the difference there is now you're going against somebody that Vern is working against. And now Vern wasn't getting all the adoration. That was the difference. But as a promoter, he loved it if the if the heels got any kind of fandom. Well done. Well done, yeah. Chief. There you go. I love the potpourri of humanity comment. Like that is I've never thought of it like that, but man, you you described wrestling fans to the T. <laughs> right. And I mean it's not a bad it's not a bad thing, but no, I, no, I mean no, it's no, no. I, I mean there's you know, there's all kinds in our world and we love everybody. And you, you, you're damn right we do. We're right, uh, We are. Uh, for you, Mick, uh, the second one, I'd like to hear any memories or comments about the wrestling bear. This is from Scott Scherer. Uh, I think his name was Victor. He saw him wrestle in Milwaukee when he was a kid, and uh, thank you for the great show. Victor the wrestling bear. Uh, there were actually a couple of other wrestling bears. Uh, I think Terrible Ted was one, and I think there was actually a Smokey the Wrestling Bear, believe it or not, gimmick infringement. But uh, the Wrestling Bear, uh, we're going to take a look at Victor. And there he is, and he's working against the Destroyer, Dr. X, who wrestled the Bear many, many times uh, around the country. Uh, in the Twin Cities, they brought the Bear in in the 1960s, I believe 67, and he was part of a main event, the Bear, and he, or a double main event, and he wrestled Harley Race. And uh, I remember at the time, I was kind of standing in the back, and, and Dr. X actually was also on the cards, and he came out to watch this. 
uh, Harley going against Victor the Bear. Got to scout the bear. Got to scout the bear. Is that? Got to scout the bear. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you got, I mean, you call it. You know, you have to figure out how to call it in the ring. Is that kind of what you're? Well, I, I think that's what it was. The bear was a little difficult. I, I don't know how. You know what language he spoke, but, but sometimes there was there was that barrier. Um, you know, they do call it the grunt and groan business, and I, I think the bear was heavy on the grunt. But nonetheless, uh, at the end of the of uh, every match with Victor the Bear, and I probably the other bears too, the bear would drink a bottle of Coca-Cola in the middle of the ring as his reward uh, for, you know, participating in the match. He would sit on his haunches, you know, kind of like Chupik does at the bar after he's been in a fight. You know, he'll grab a beer and, you know, sit down in the middle of the floor. But uh, I believe this particular night, Harley was disqualified for punching the bear in the nose. And uh, I'm sure it was a word punch. As tough as Harley was, uh, I, I don't know uh, if, if it was too smart an idea to punch the bear in the scout. Uh, but he did. And typically, and here's another bit of useless trivia wrestling fans, you, get, you just get all of it today. <laughs> Uh, the Bears manager was Tuffy Truesdale. He was a, a wrestler and the Bears handler. And a lot of times they would go to the finish by having the Bears opponent punch Truff, Tuffy Truesdale. Say that fast five times. <laughs> and, uh, and Tuffy would sell the punch and the Bear would win by disqualification. But, yeah, the Bear would do headlocks and hip tosses and, needless to say, Bear hugs. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it worked. Harley Race. <laughs> You know, <laughs> talk, oh, about, talk about we, it. We had Tito Santana last week. <laughs> now you just spent six and a half minutes. Six and a half minutes about talking a about a grizzly bear. That's great. Wow. Hey, I didn't ask the question. <laughs> I got so many questions about the bear. Uh, we move I, on. Oh, good. Did you have something you were going to say, Joe? Because I, I, I would completely take this thing in in a direction well, I don't know where to go. In, in hindsight, uh, I would have rather have paid an entry to see the bear wrestle than Silo Sam or Rocky Mountain Thunder. Absolutely. The bear had three moves. <laughs> You know, and so he, he basically tripled <laughs> what the other guys had. Oh, oh. the bear. Oh man, great, great! Uh, whew, maybe we'll do an episode on uh, bear wrestling someday. No, perfect. <laughs> yeah, perfect. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, this one for you, Joe. Uh, let's go to people that actually were uh, were well respected here. Uh, I I heard recently in an interview Mike Rotunda mentioning the reason Barry Windham and Mike Rotunda did not stay around the AWA after Wrestle Rock was because of the poor payout they received. Have you heard this from other talents who worked Wrestle Rock? Uh, that is from Russ Schoberg. Unfortunately, yes, I did um, get a drift of that. Uh, everybody was disappointed, uh, despite what uh, the office said about attendance and so forth. Uh, so much work was put into that, and the payoffs were not uh, what everybody was expecting. But keep in mind that... Barry and Mike came from the WWF. They had uh, uh, one or possibly two WrestleManias under their belt. So they were used to having a much bigger payday. And the AWA, you know, going into it, we're still battling with the WWF. And so, you know, the thought was, okay, payday is going to be about the same, but it wasn't. And, uh, Barry, I don't believe, wrestled again in the AWA, but Mike Rotunda actually did. Yeah. So he came back, wrestled in singles. Um, but, yeah, paydays all the way around were not happy. On a side note, I got to say that, well, I was happy with my payday. I got a, actually a little bonus, and I hadn't even – Let's see, four, I'd been with the AWA for seven months when Wrestle Rock happened. And I got a nice little, nice little bonus. I think it was only a couple hundred bucks, but shit, I was a 20-year-old kid, just started with the AWA. So I was ecstatic, but I'm sure, and obviously Barry Wyndham said it, he wasn't happy with the payday. 
and he was not the only one. Well, a couple of things from that. You, you touched on it, Joe. The attendance at the AWA announced, uh, which was 20-some thousand. There, no, there was no way uh, that they had that many people in the, in the Dome. And the other thing is, of course, who knows what they had to pay Waylon Jennings. You know, when I think rock and roll, I think Waylon Jennings. Um, so the, the, the whole thing, any in retrospect, well, maybe the, the, the last hurrah. Uh, for the AWA, heavy on the fur raw. I'll say that was the first of the last hurrahs. Okay, there you go. All right. All right, guys, next question. Uh, this is for all of us from Chris Vincentini. Uh, sorry if this has been asked before. Who was the one wrestler in the AWA that you thought had it and uh, would be a huge star but never got over? We got a picture right up there of Roger Kirby, nature boy, Roger Kirby. And he was here in the Twin Cities area in the late 1970s. Uh, this would be my pick. Roger was a tremendous wrestler. Uh, he was really over in the Central States area. He teamed up with Lord Alfred Hayes, uh, a world traveler, no question about it. Tremendous leg strength, uh, great heel, great talker. Uh, Roger was kind of a mid-card guy, though in the AWA and I just personally for me I always felt that maybe you know the the sewer cap was on a little bit tight and they uh, they should have given Roger Kirby a, a better push than they did my per, my pick is going to be Larry the Butcher Cameron oh. um, unfortunately Larry passed away uh, all too soon but Ah, man, if he'd have come into the AWA a little bit earlier, um, I really think he could have done something. Uh, I, I, I just thought it was a great overall talent. Looked great, did phenomenal promos. Uh, his his in-ring work was pretty darn good as well. Um, but, yeah, Larry the Butcher Cameron. Monster heel. Mm. Yep. And, and I'm going to go with someone else that I felt had the look, but – for whatever reason, he just he wasn't pushed to the heights that I thought he should have been here because everywhere I saw him, I thought he did he was fantastic. And that was Ox Baker. Like I just I feel like he had that really nasty demeanor that he had the look of a of a true heel. And I felt like he could have been, you know, one of those really because you look at what he did in other territories, I don't know why. He wasn't used the same way he was here, you know, when he worked with, uh, you know, the Colognes and, and other, you know, other territories. And, you know, I know WWF, he you know, did stuff there, too. But, yeah, I, I just feel like Ox Baker, maybe they just, I don't know, he just never hit that level that maybe I thought he could have with that sort of look. I don't understand it either. And you mentioned the other territories where Ox was over huge, you know, certainly in Chicago and yeah. Indianapolis, uh, particularly working. Yeah, other, other spots in the Midwest, but just not here. Oh. And and he had, if anybody has a monster heel look, it was Ox Baker. Uh, you know, he was almost kind of a comedy character. Uh, even when they were giving him a minor push in the AWA back in the 70s. And then, of course, when he came back towards the AWA's run, he was managing the Russian Brute. Um, Ox's best years were way behind him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the push in the 80s were more like a, a little tap from behind for Ox. I mean, he could barely even move. Watching him, you know, try to get down to the ring, he was definitely showing the wear and tear of all of his years in the ring. You combine that with, uh, I'll just say subpar talent that he had to manage and certainly the time that he came in of the AWA during his managerial run. Yeah. There really wasn't an opportunity to give him that push, but I agree with your assessment, Chris, fantastic look scared the living shit out of me when he walked into the studio for the first time. Uh, but a nice guy. I got along very, nice. very well. Yeah. Yep. I mean, if, if nothing else, use him for the look. You know, yeah. I, there's a way that you could probably work around the deficiencies uh, with the look. Yep. Uh, this one from Scott Heddle. Uh, and, and we briefly touched on this before, guys, but uh, we'll just kind of mention it quickly. What do you think a Greg Gagne heel turn would have looked like, especially if he turned heel against his dad? 
I've always just kind of wondered if you've gone further, if you disconnected from Vern. Thanks for all the great podcasts. Joe, you've been a big proponent of the uh, the potential Greg Gagne heel turn. Yeah, I, you know, especially as as it got a little bit later on, I wouldn't have uh, suggested it or done it during uh, the AWA's heyday during the 70s and uh, in the early 80s. But, you know, what what do you have to lose at that point? Um, have them have them go at it. Um, in fact, let me throw this little twist in there. What if you kept Greg the baby face and had Vern turn heel? Just something different. The AWA needed something besides the Rockers and Rose and Summers, uh, Kurt Henning, and, and you go in later than that, they could have used about 2,000 uh, lifelines, but uh, no, I, I I thought it would have been something that would have been fun to do. Uh, but, you know, Vern, well, it, it sounds though like the heel turn for Vern never would have worked because he didn't want to be the bad guy. Would Greg, do you feel, would Greg have ever wanted to be open to, uh, to being the bad guy? Yeah. Joe thinks he would, and and I'm kind of in the middle on that because I think back to their Super Clash match, uh, Greg and Ronnie Garvin, and it was in Chicago, and Greg was getting a little bit of uh, booze from the crowd, and he did not take it very well, and he kind of insulted the Chicago crowd afterward, but having said that, he gave a pretty good heel promo in insulting the Chicago crowd. I, I just don't know if the Ganyas themselves – Either one of them would ever want to be a heel, especially in Minnesota. But yeah, who knows? Well, Greg didn't. Greg didn't take well to the booing because he was supposed to be the babyface. Yeah. And all yeah. of a sudden, you get this wrench thrown into the works where the fans are booing you. Um, he did well. You're right about Vern. I think. In fact, I sort of know Greg would have liked to have been a heel for a little run. Why not? Why not? Good call. Yeah, do something a little bit different. I mean, I'm oh. sure kind of like, you know, Tito said you know, last week, he wanted to be the heel in the feud against Rick Martel and, you know, WWF when Strikeforce broke up. But some people, you know, they just never get that opportunity. Correct. Uh, here's uh, one from uh, uh, Matt Kessling. Uh, hey, all. Hey, guys. Love the podcast. You three have a great, uh, great chemistry that keeps the show entertaining. Uh, anyway, here's my question for you. I know the AWA was stacked with many great tag teams. Were there ever any two you thought would make a fun tag team? Thanks for answering. If you do, keep up the great work. Uh, Mick, let's uh, let's go to you. And then to you, Joe, because you guys have the same – you have a common thread in your in your answers. I have – I've said this before. Uh, to me, the team of Nick Bockwinkle and Jim Brunzel – would have been great. And I could always envision Brunzi uh, becoming a heel, maybe even managed by Bobby Heenan, bring him into the Heenan family. And uh, Nick and Brunzel did team up. That picture is actually from when they teamed in Japan and very successfully. So that that's always kind of been my dream team, uh, Nick and Brunzi. I don't know that I have a, have, a, have a dream team in mind. And when I... Um was asked the, the question. I actually had to think about this one for a little bit, and I didn't see that you had picked uh, Nick and Jim, but I went with Nick and Jerry the King Lawler. Um, I've seen the matches between the two. Uh, I loved both of their in-ring presence. They worked. I, I just thought that they generated, uh, whether it was a lot of heat, or the, the, the fans went for him, whether they got over as baby faces. Uh, I think the two of them would have made a very interesting tag team. Chris, Chris how about you? Yeah, I'm uh, just getting myself back in here. There are a couple guys. I'm going a little bit later because I'm going to go back in with the individuals that, uh, that I knew. Uh, one of them here goes without ah. saying. Uh, Kurt had a, you, you knew just the ring prowess that he had, but I, I'm going to team him up. And there's a reason why we're taking our time with this. Uh, if I can find you know what? We're taking our time. 
taking I our think time. I know. Taking our time. Are you stalling by chance? Uh, you know what? I am stalling. <laughs> I am stalling. I am stalling. Talk amongst yourselves. I am stalling. I'm going to insult the people. I am stalling. I am stalling. Do you have any idea where I'm going? I, I, I'm going to take a guess, and just in case you can't find the photograph. Oh, I've got it. I've got it. I'm just. Get it ready to I'm, go. I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to piss the people off enough because this is how it works. Uh, we'll call them spudheads. You could call, call them spudheads. I don't want to call them spudheads, but there he is, the one and only. Ah. Welcome to Larryland, Larry Zabisco. You like how I kind of drew that out? Yeah, there's there's no question about it. And Kurt and Larry, that would have been a natural tag team. You know, when they did that whole thing with the with the roll of dimes and everything else and the yeah. title switch, and I'm um, it ab- absolutely would have been a natural. Uh, Kurt Hedig, if you think about it, Chris and Joe, you could put this guy anywhere. Singles match, tag team, he was just that good. There was uh, nothing he, yeah, he did nothing he couldn't do. And I'm glad that you mentioned it because it, one thing that I noticed with all of ours is you've got guys that have competed against each other, but then you can see that chemistry when they worked against each other. And then naturally you would think that they would combine to be a very good team. So it's, it's not, it's not like you're talking about two people that didn't have any connection. Great point. Great point. And, and I don't understand why the AWA did not capitalize on that. The only thing I can think is that maybe Kurt was getting ready to leave, uh, you know, and, and head out East. But I, I, I don't recall specifically what was going on. Maybe, Joe, you can add a little insight to that. Well, Kurt wasn't ready to leave because he won the belt. True. Super Clash. In Good San point here. Yeah, yeah. He won uh, it in San Francisco, so that was the start of his run. And he was on a guarantee here, so Kurt wasn't going anyplace. Okay. Uh, I think they were just going to feed off of um, the, the Zabisco and Kurt Henning Alliance, we didn't really even do that a whole bunch. You know, Larry just magically appeared at ringside during that match. Didn't, you know, sadly, it's just a time of throw something against the wall and let's see what the hell happens and works. Uh, Even the whole roll of dimes thing could have been executed a little bit better. In fact, a lot bit better, but hey, it still got Kurt the strap, so... Well, and you know what? Thinking back on it too, again, fans are fickle. Boy, I mean, Kurt hits uh, Nick with the roll of dimes, and the fans popped, yeah. and they popped when Kurt won the championship. So, uh, very strange times indeed. And again, maybe you're right. The AWA might have dropped the ball once again. Unfortunately, that happened more times than not in the later years. Uh, this one is for you, Joe. Uh, I know you talked about your time with Eric Bischoff in the AWA. Didn't know it was documented. They say a picture is worth a thousand words, but apparently you can put a price on it. This is from uh, Michael Cote, uh, I believe. And uh, I believe the price on this at last I saw was $14.99 on eBay, baby. <laughs> $14.99. Look at that. The Polish Joe. Is that a legit? Is that like, does that have the certificate of authenticity with it too? I can confirm that that's a legit photo with uh, my legit autograph. Although this wasn't from my time at the AWA. This was actually at a heavy on wrestling event in uh, would have been February of 2020 just before the pandemic hit. And it was the first time I was able to see Bischoff since, oh gosh, 91. And the first time I talked to him since uh, he off, he called to ask me to come down to Atlanta to produce or help produce WCW, which I never got that reform, return phone call. And this photo was right after I had asked Eric about it. All good, all water under the bridge. Maybe sort of, but I still wish you would have called to have me 
come down and produce WCW. That would have been fun, at least for the short run that they had. Chris, you said that was on eBay for fourteen ninety nine. Was that a buy it now, or are people actually, did they bid on that? Oh, God, no, that was buy it now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that, that's what I have. I would have to pay them to take. Wow. No, it's actually, that's um, Nick Christie from Think Signatures, uh, for whatever reason, had me do a, uh, a meet and greet, uh, a, a quick one. You know what? Uh, I'm going to actually. I'm going to look it up on eBay right now. Okay, uh, I'm looking at this right now. Uh, AWA Polish show sign uh, television production staff. Eric Bischoff, eight by ten photo. Buy it now, fourteen ninety nine. So if I bought it now with six dollars shipping, um, the seller does not accept returns. Okay. Huh. Okay. Wait a minute. Wait. What? What do you mean you don't accept returns and six dollars shipping? What are are you are you in the envelope with it? <laughs> what is oh come on. Come on. I I have nothing to do with that. I just signed the photo and we'll if somebody actually wants to buy one. Then. I have my with, you know, no return bullshit. No. Okay. Anyway. All right. This one for uh, for you, Mick, during the late sixties and seventies. Uh, AWA Wrestling, they'd have spot shows at Fort William Gardens. This is coming from Randall Albertini from uh, Ottawa. Uh, during these shows, kind of a longer one, so just follow me here. He said he'd sell programs that George Gadaski brought, uh, brought and any wrestlers, any pictures wrestlers brought. Uh, in and out of dressing rooms a lot during the shows. Basically saying that uh, got the impression that George was more than just a ref. Was George Gadaski, did he do anything more? Uh, on the road, or did he just have the the one role as a referee? George did an awful lot. I don't think he was anything like a road agent or anything like that, but uh, George worked his ass off. I, I don't think anybody worked harder in the history of the AWA, to be honest with you, than, than George Gadaski. Um, you know, he, he drove the ring truck. You know, may, a lot of times from Minneapolis to Fargo, up to Winnipeg, Milwaukee, where, where have you. And then he'd set up and tear down the ring. Then he would referee. He'd stay and tear down the ring again and drive to the next town. And it might have been Omaha or, you know, something like that, a good distance. Uh, George was such a valuable employee for the AWA. Uh, this is the first time I've heard about, you know, the, the pictures and stuff. But George did everything. And I think if there was an, ever an MVP in the AWA, it was George Gadaski. Yeah, George did whatever it took to to get it done. He was, uh, I guess, the consummate team player. And uh, if something needed to get done, Vern could trust him that he was going to get it done, give him you know, a few extra bucks to do the extra. But no, George was never a road agent uh, that would have been left to uh, Wally, Greg, Vern himself, maybe Nick. You know, and, and George, thank God they gave him that one brief real rub uh, when he teamed with Crusher against uh, Lord Alfred Hayes and Super Destroyer Mark II. And uh, George earned it, and uh, God bless him. Here's another guy who left us way too young. I know George was in his 50s. Terrific guy. Jeez. Uh, the next one uh, for both of you guys from Bill Holtz. Uh, really enjoy the podcast. My question relates to the AWA and ESPN. Did the network take a hands-on role or ever express displeasure with blood or angles like Colonel De Beers and uh, says that thanks he has subscribed to the YouTube channel? Yeah, and if you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, uh, just yeah, just hit the subscribe button for us. If uh, Do us a solid here. But uh, guys, about uh, ESPN and uh, Colonel De Beers. Well, Joe would be more of an expert on this than I would be because he was right there with production. But I'm thinking back to the era. Um, and, man, you had some not only with De Beers and the controversy, um, you know, there's the, there's the good Colonel Ed Wiskoski, uh with a racist angle. But in terms of blood, I mean, good grief, you had guys like Tommy Rich uh, just doing bloodbaths, you know, back in the day against Adrian Adonis and what have you. Uh, did Joe, is there any any truth to that? Did the, the, the ESPN, did the network uh, raise an eyebrow or say, knock this stuff off? 
Blood was never an issue. Um, never had to uh, cut anything out uh, whatsoever when it came to blood. We did have to stop putting the De Beers and Derek Dukes uh, angle uh, on ESPN. Um, that it just got to be too much. In fact, we uh, we we had to take De Beers out of even promos. Um, they they didn't care much for it, and that actually led pretty quickly to the end of the of the angle. Um, thankfully and mercifully, I never cared for that angle um, during that time. Um, just over the top uh, times two. Well, you know, and if you think about it, the angle with Dukes really was kind of the icing on the cake. I mean, it took it to another level in terms of that paint, paint white, paint black match, uh, because it was always, you know, Colonel didn't want to get in the ring with Jimmy Snuka. You know, a- anybody that was not Caucasian, uh, the Colonel, you know, kind of fought getting into the ring with. So I, I'm more surprised that Vern let that go. Desperate times call for desperate measures. That was really desperate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, th- you know, sometimes when you throw stuff against the wall to see what sticks, um, you end up throwing a rock and you dent the wall. Yeah, I got it. And uh, or, or thinking that it's an egg that you're throwing and it turns out to be a stone. And it, it yeah, it uh, in my opinion, it was uh, quite the low point mm-hmm. uh, in the AWA. I did not like the angle whatsoever. Um, I never had any problem with with uh, with Ed or with Dukes. Um, yeah, just doing their jobs. I mean, unfortunately, it's you know, it's. I yeah. think about it now. The way that we're talking about it now, that even back then, how uncomfortable it made you feel, Joe. Um. Yeah. I mean, even doing when we're doing promos uh, on interview day, uh, it, it's just like when I when I saw it was going to be De Beers and Dukes. Uh, or move a little bit earlier, and it was Snuka. It's like, oh shit. Okay, what what's Ed gonna? What's Colonel De Beers, Edward Salski? What what's he going to say today? Yeah. Um, you know, I honestly, I don't think that he believed in that. I personally, I don't know. I never really talked to him about it. But knowing him as I did, I don't think that's the way that he genuinely felt. It was just part of the gimmick. Mm-hmm. Um, and Joe, if you think about it, Ed really, in a lot of ways, pushed the envelope. Because even when he was feuding with Scott Hall, if you remember his promos, he was always talking about Scott Hall is on anabolic steroids. You know, the guy's not. So he was even, you know, broaching that subject. So Ed had a little bit of flexibility there for whatever reason. He not only pushed it towards the edge, but he took it and hung it over the edge yeah. um, and did everything short of letting it go. Yep. Um, I, I, yeah, too far. I love, I like the gimmick. I really did. I, I like Ed. I just, I never, yeah, did, didn't care. It, it pushed it too far for me. It's my take. All right, here's another one for you, Joe. Uh, this is from a uh, friend of the show, DJ Draper. Kind of more of a a, a technical uh, thing from your side. Probably an insignificant curiosity, but a production curiosity nonetheless. And maybe you can answer this, maybe you can't. Why was the hard cam at the St. Paul Civic Center stationed at the far end of the arena, rather at center ice like it would be for a hockey game? Was there any particular reason a wrestling event wouldn't be shot from the same general area as a hockey or basketball game? or wrestling from just about any, uh, any other arena, seems a longer Zoom would be necessary. Uh, so having done both wrestling uh, as well as basketball and hockey, I know what you're talking about, DJ. Um, it, it actually, the, the camera was set up at times um, along in the traditional basketball or hockey sense, but that would have been when there were multi-camera uh, options available at the Civic Center, which wasn't too often. Uh, but when it was, yeah, there would be one in 
uh, set up in the bleachers. And then the, the one hard cam that was, uh, uh, for all of you fans that remember it, it was a wide shot. It was on a scaffold, and I was up on that scaffold uh, many times, uh, up on a scaffold, but it was right where the talent entrance was. So why was it set up there? Um, real simple. Well, that's closest to home base, closest to the locker rooms. Um, we needed to have... We, we needed to have our equipment someplace. And if we're going to go and set up, we had a one-inch portable recorder. Can't really put that up into the bleachers. In today's world, yeah, it'd make it a lot easier. But back in those days, nope, it was set up there because we needed to be. There you go, DJ. All right, uh, let's go. We got about uh, 15 minutes left to go in, in uh, this episode. Again, we've got another one coming up uh, next week. Uh, this one from Corrine, uh, she said for Mick and Joe, hi guys, big fan of the podcast and yes, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Thank you, Corrine. Uh, very much appreciated. Uh, said she loved the Jerry Blackwell episode. Wondering if you could share a story or two of Jerry Blackwell on the road in the studio, uh, et cetera, through time. She's heard very little, uh, but what she's heard about the, uh, mountain from Stone Mountain that he was a very nice guy. And uh, you guys both had a chance to uh, talk with him. So uh, give uh, give Kareen a little bit of a peek behind the curtain with Jerry Blackwell. My answer will be quick, and then I'm going to turn it over to Joe because Joe had a far more uh, experience with Jerry than I did. The, the times that I talked to him, very soft-spoken guy, very pleasant. Uh, as far as uh, behind-the-scenes stuff, I, I, I've alluded to this before. People would say that they would see Jerry on the road and he would be going into like a 7-Eleven or whatever. And he'd come out with all these snacks and these soda drinks and what have you. And it was the worst thing in the world for him because Jerry was diabetic. And uh, unfortunately, that led to a lot of problems uh, later on in life for him. Probably shortened his life considerably. But as far as Jerry, the man is concerned, I, Joe, we've talked about this before. Talk about a good old country boy, Southern gentleman. Uh, that was Jerry Blackwell. Without question. And, and it's, uh, it's easy to say, and I've said it about other people, Jerry was genuinely one of the nicest wrestlers I've ever worked with. As you alluded to, Mick, the the please, the thank you, the the the, the ma'am. Um, that was Jerry Blackwell. Um, one story, and I may have shared this on a previous uh, podcast, but one of my first times uh, at the showboat in Vegas, uh, I was rooming with Jerry, brought the tapes back to the room, um, and Jerry came out of the shower with... Um, I, I, what I thought was a half a towel, but it was indeed a full towel, but it was only covering, well, Jerry was not a small guy. Uh, Jerry was kind enough in the matter of speaking to start, he goes, come on, young man, sit down. He proceeds to sit down on the bed and I sit in a chair um, right by him. Jerry's still in the towel. And he proceeds to, for about the next, oh, 10, 15 minutes, he just starts talking to me about the business to smarten me up. I had been in the business maybe a little over a year, maybe a year and a half. And he just went over the business on how to properly do handheld camera and so forth. And my reply to him was, it'd be great on the handheld camera side, ringside, if Vern would smarten me up or smarten the crew up to an angle or a finish that was happening. That took a little while for Vern to do that. But that was just who Jerry was. He sat there and talked to me for 10, 15 minutes with a towel wrapped around him, proceeded to stand up, drop the towel, um, put on his pants and went down to the buffet. So let me get this straight. Jerry, when you got smartened up to the business you got smartened up to the business by jerry blackwell when he was sitting on the bed in a towel that's when you learned about the wrestling business you're envisioning it aren't you i can 
and it's you know um that's i i uh, that's that's something it really is and the only thing I can liken that to, Chris, in, in 91, I was in Australia with Kamala and I knocked on his door at the hotel and he opened the door without a stitch of clothing on, without a stitch, not a towel, not a hand, <laughs> cloth, nothing. And that's a site that was, you know, 32 years ago. And yeah. uh, it's well, it, at least Kamala, I believe, wore underwear. At well, least he did this he, night. He, Jerry didn't. He didn't Jerry just put his night, pants uh, on with no underwear. Boy, yeah. Lucky you. Was he at least dried off, or I mean, did he still have like a little bit of water, like on the bottom of his back? Or something? I don't I know mean, if there was water or sweat, but hey, let's get on to the next question. <laughs> Lord, well, what? I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask a follow-up question. You know, you are. You're an investigative journalist, Heenan School of Broadcasting. I'm actively listening. Yep. Actively listening. Yep. All right, guys. Uh, you know, let's do. Uh, let's just do one more here. We've got a lot of them. We can roll them over, and if we do another one after that, like I, I mean, you know, that's that's fine because I know that no, some of these. Saying, we we pretty much have killed this hour. You know, let's get out of here while the getting is good. Is that what you're? Uh, the getting was never good this hour. Okay. Let's be honest. Okay. Well, there was that little snafu in the middle that you know the jump cut. It wasn't you guys. You know, it was me. I just. You know, this has been kind of one of those filler episodes. And, I mean, this might be the most filler that we've had. Kind of like landfill? Is that what you're getting at there? Yeah, kind of like a a fluffer. Hey, we had Tito Santana last week. (laughs) Yeah, we we raised the bar so high, and now we have to go so low. And then we'll kind of, you know, we'll try and bring it up again. We're, we're, We're trending towards that compost pile. Boy. Yeah, we so are. We have one more question. Is we, 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 speaking of the compost pile, uh, this is for you, Mick. Completely coincidence. Uh, where can I get some tapes? Uh, I'm old. First of all, this from uh, Adam Smaricki. Uh, Where can I get some tapes of your old ringside show? I'm from Michigan, but we couldn't get much outside of TBS or USA or local Detroit channels. Someone has to have copies. Uh, the only uh, original three-quarter inch tapes that I know of were at the KTMA TV studio uh, on Como Avenue in St. Paul. And then they moved studios. They're not there anymore. And I have a feeling the SNR originals are gone. Uh, I have probably 200 VHS tapes with little snippets of SNR here and there. Um and I'm sure that those have probably disintegrated. And, you know, as as I have, you know, the old reference was in there several times. Old <laughs> tapes, old Mick, old Redley. Um, but I, I, you know, I would dearly love to have those those master tapes. And I just don't think they're around anymore. You know, and then there was 200 shows right on the button. And uh, sadly, lost to history. There's a couple little snippets on YouTube that somebody has put up, but uh, for the most part, it's just in the old memory bank. And that, that seriously, that breaks my heart. I wish, I wish I could share those tapes with people. What is it with the wrestling business? The AWA did that. Um, all of your shows, if there was only that foresight, well, technology wasn't quite there either. You're talking three quarter inch tapes. God, that goes back a ways. Videotape goes back a ways. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. But yeah, I, yeah, you don't. Yeah, you don't. You don't think that at, at that time, you know, like thirty or forty years later, like people are going to want to see this stuff. Like people are going to want to go back and, and kind of relive it, and and because people find enjoyment in it, it really is a shame that a lot of that stuff is gone. Because how much more fun could we have? Really, oh. you know, digging into some of this stuff that we could have video that we could look at and 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 recap and just discuss and unfortunately like you said mick and and you joe it just kind of it was one and done you erase it and it's gone forever all the 1950s 1960s awa and and before that minneapolis tv studio tapes there's a couple out there on youtube but not very many and it it sucks big time Big time. And I, I've said before, I these things, 
I'm it's a love hate relationship. Love that I have it. If I look back, would have been great to have had it in the eighties, but at yeah. the same time, I'm glad that it wasn't in my hand. There you go. Yeah. I think that's a it's a great point, Joe. Let's go ahead and uh, wrap it up with some shout outs and then we will uh, we'll go ahead and, and take it home. And Mick, I will let you go first, my friend. All right, buddy. Uh, I am going to give a shout out to my former broadcast colleague, uh, Dale Spear. Uh, Dale, one of the great guys that I have ever worked with. He has been a friend for decades. I uh, can't say enough good things about him. He's a broadcast guy himself. Knows the wrestling business inside and out, and I know he listens to the podcast all the time. So, uh, hello, Dale, my buddy. My shout out is I, maybe it's just more of a a piece of advice, and the shout out slash advice goes to Netflix wrestlers series. It's seven episodes. It's about seven hours. If you've not had the opportunity to see it and you have Netflix and are a wrestling fan, I finished it last night. I thought it was absolutely incredibly done, phenomenally done. It captures what it really is like um, for most people in the wrestling industry. I'm still involved in indie wrestling. I have been for years and watching it was like, Yep, 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 yep. And certainly a different place, but different situations as well. But wow, they they hit, in my opinion, they hit a home run with that. Kudos to Al Snow and OVW. Yep, they nailed it. And uh, we've gotten to uh, to all but the last one. So uh, we're six out of the seven episodes. Oh, so you don't want to know the finish? No. <laughs> I think I know what the finish is, but I, you know, well, I don't know what it is, but I, you know, my wife was out of town. So, and I, I didn't want to, what they call Netflix cheat, you know, where you're like watching a show and then you don't want to watch it without the person. Cause otherwise it's like, you've already, so no, I, when we start watching, I, I have to watch the whole thing with her. Cause otherwise I'd feel dirty. Uh, Good way to stay married. Yeah. Well, you know, you got to throw shit at the wall and see what sticks and, if it's about, you know, Netflix wrestlers, if that keeps the marriage alive, then that's that's good enough for me. Now uh, I'm going to yeah, yeah, <laughs> go with uh, uh, Ty Tyson. Uh, he is my shout out. Thanks for all the support, Ty. I know that you're constantly commenting on YouTube and a big supporter of the show. So thank you, Ty. And thanks to you, uh, to everybody for sticking with again. Apologize for the, uh, the little bit of the snafu in the middle of it. Uh, it was just far enough in that I didn't want to restart. Because then we, uh, I don't know. Anyway, it was just kind of one of those that we just kind of pieced it together, cobbled it together, and we're gonna have another Q and A next week. So if you didn't get your didn't get your question answered, uh, we've got still a lot more in the can. So I guess that being said, guys, uh, I got nothing else. Uh, I I do. I want to take a second just to really thank everybody. I mean, you know, we kind of do it, you know, we gloss over it a couple of times, you know, in a show. But we're so grateful. We really are. We're over, as they say. And it's gratifying. And uh, if you haven't subscribed, please do it. But the people that are so loyal to what we do Mm -hmm. and literally hang on every week, if we're running a little bit late, where's the podcast? Come on. I've been waiting. Uh, so we really appreciate it. We love you, everybody, and thank you. I agree. That the, the core group that we have, the core group of fans that we have, are beyond dedicated. And yeah. thank you for that. For those that are just listening, hey, they can't be wrong all the time, can they? Give it a shot. Hit that like button. Come on back and see us now, you hear? <laughs> <laughs> 